0: To the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by thehockeythinktank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We bring on, he is a PhD and a professor of education at Ferris State University, Brady Flax, and what an unbelievable conversation we had with him. He is a teacher by trade, obviously. He also teaches teachers as well as a professor of education, and we always talk about how coaching hockey is not just about the hockey stuff it's also about the teaching and this was just such an insightful conversation and really really excited to bring him to you he also is a youth hockey coach he's got four boys of his own so he is steeped in the youth hockey culture so this was just a really really fun one a lot of great information but before we do get over to Brady let's bring on the talent of the podcast Jeffrey LeVecchio. Vax what's going on today my man
1: just stoked to be alive bro stoked to be alive Okay, good for you, me too. Dude, this podcast got me, man. It was, it was. I like when you think outside the box and bring on guests. Well, he, he messaged you, right, saying he wanted to come on. And like when we bring on these guests that are bringing so much more to the table than just like hockey, than just X's and O's. Like, I love those, but I also love these, and this was a fun one.
0: Yeah, for sure. So yeah, he, he reached out to us just... Kind of saying, hey, like I really like the stuff that you do. I'm, I'm a, I'm a professor. I'm, I'm a teacher, and and so I reached back out to him. I said, hey, that's something we talk about all the time. Would love to get you on, and uh, yeah, I, like again, we we say this a lot, but typically when Jeff and I get off the not phone, but get off the computer after doing this. We have a little bit of a conversation about how it went and things like that. And this one was just awesome. I mean, this conversation, I guarantee you as the listeners, because it was the same for me and probably you too, Jeff. I mean, I was engaged the whole time like the whole time I was kind of wide-eyed and the whole time I was nodding, I was I was looking at you and you were nodding as he kept just going on and on about these, these amazing things that we can use with our teams and with the kids that we coach. And, and it was uh, just so many different things, so many different actionable items that we can use. And I think this one is going to go a long, long way. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this one.
1: Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. I love this. I think Adam Nicholas set this episode up the first time we came and I know I said something about that on the podcast recording with him, but I like, it's very cool to think outside the box. And I I like when we got into uh, some of the things about creativity and how to pump it up and how we can also stifle it as coaches. Um, so that was one of my favorite parts of this podcast for sure.
0: Yeah. And I think the biggest thing for me too, coming out of it was, just how important it is to be prepared as a coach or as a teacher and and being i, I think Brady might have said the word intentionality 63,000 times in the <laughs> podcast but for good reason Love it. and there is even a bunch of times he was like i know i'm saying this a lot but it's so true and and you have it in your gym we've talked about intention a lot on this podcast and and it's just why are you doing what you do why are you doing what you do and also putting a plan in place so you can execute on the why of why you do what you you do. And, uh, just a lot of really neat tips when it comes to that, the the preparation side of it, of what you want to be as a coach, who you want to be as a coach, what you want to do with your players, both as a team individually. And I feel like we talked a lot about too, how the planning and the preparation is, is, is tenfold. It's not just Every day, you want to have your everyday plans, but you want to have your month-long plans. You want to have your season plans. You want to regress from from uh, from the end to the beginning, and and you talk about that, and just uh, a lot of really neat stuff, and I took a lot of notes.
1: That's <laughs> how so, you know it's a good one. When I see Toph writing a lot over there on the other side of the screen, like a little bunny rabbit just taking notes, I'm like, yep, this is going to be a good one. People are going to get a lot out of this one. <laughs> A <laughs> little, little bunny rabbit. That reminds me of when you're like, oh, I just see you, like so your eyes light up. You're like, oh, did you get a really little pen? And you start writing real quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh, my gosh. Uh, Unreal. Yeah, no, this was uh, this was an awesome episode. I I really, really enjoyed this one. I really do think that a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this one. And uh, it was fantastic. So um, we shouldn't waste too much time. Anything else going on in your neck of the woods here? What what do you got going on in the STL?
1: I really want to send a massive shout-out to my head coach from the last two years, Mike Barra. He just accepted a position with the Sioux City Musketeers in the USHL, and uh, there's no one more deserving of going into the best junior league in North America and for sure the United States uh, uh, than than Bears. This guy did it all for organization for the teams that I coached with him. You talk about preparedness. This guy had plans on plans on plans. Like he knew from day one, what we were doing in month one, month two, month three, probably had his practice plans set out for August, like in January, the year before, like this guy just is obsessed with hockey, loves hockey, loves helping his players get better. Uh, there's no one more deserving. So I'm extremely excited for him. And I know he listens to the podcast. So congrats bears.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And I think it's just a a testament to, we've talked about this. I get so many texts and messages and calls from, from younger men and women who want to get into the game. And, and I think the biggest thing is, is, is he built a relationship with Sioux city from doing a good job and he did a great job with the St. Louis kid. He did kids. He did a great job as a scout. And when you do good work, you get rewarded typically. And, um, you know some people just based on where they live and their circumstances have to grind a little bit more than others um but the fact that he did the job that he did and he was rewarded with a full-time position with a ushl team and and it's a great ushl team luke strand there's the head coach and and he's been been there for a bit but he's he's been a great coach a lot of different places that he's been so um just an awesome opportunity and and just further evidence just do a great job put everything you have into what you do as as a coach and you never know where it can take you
1: I mean that uh, those words couldn't be more true because I'm not kidding you. Like my first year being retired from playing and coming back and seeing how hard he was working, like I'm not gonna lie, there were times where I was like, dude, you're you're doing too good of a job. Like I loved it. I was obsessed with it. I was like, you, like I don't know how you can do this good of a job and put this much time into youth hockey. Like I I, I said it from like. After a week work with him, I was like, "You're not going to be here long. We're losing you. This organization is going to lose you. Like you belong at the next level. There's no doubt about it." Um, so you know he that whole like dress for the job you want, you know, type of thing. Intention, like yeah, he's working with midgets, and now he's in the USHL. You know, the best junior league in in the US. So uh, he he deserves it. And like you said, you, you put everything into it if it's something you want.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And it reminds me actually of, and I just brought it up on my phone too. So I tweeted out a video of Paul Maurice talking about Jansen Harkins, who basically willed his way onto the Winnipeg Jets lineup. And it's, uh, the, the tweet itself in terms of the amount of people that interacted with is the biggest one that I've ever done. And it was that good of a speech. And basically he talks about Jansen Harkins, who had zero opportunity of making the team and because of his work ethic and because of his play, uh, he, he ended up playing in the playoffs for the Winnipeg Jets. And I wanted to actually read, uh, so Mike McKenzie, who is now the head coach and general manager of the Kitchener Rangers in the OHL, we had him on in the early stages of our podcast. He might be in the first maybe 20, 25 that we did, maybe even before that. And uh, he actually told a story that I wanted to read because I think it goes along really well with this. And he had a story about Paul Maurice. And so if you'll indulge me, Jeffrey, mind if I, I read this little thread? I <laughs> shall. So Mike McKenzie, and, and he's done an incredible job of McKitchener, and uh, his dad's Bob McKenzie, so uh, certainly has some some pretty good hockey bloodlines. And, and uh, so he says, seeing this clip go viral, and he's talking about the Maurice clip, uh, talking about Jansen Harkins, He says, it reminded me of an exit meeting I had with Paul Maurice, where he hit me with some serious truth, but also taught me one of the most valuable lessons I've ever learned in hockey. Here is the story. It was my first year of pro hockey, and I was attending the NHL Rookie Tournament in Traverse City as a free agent. At this point in my career, I had already figured out working hard was important to be noticed, especially as a free agent, and to be honest, a very average player drink of water (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I had had a pretty good tournament and much to my surprise was invited to the hurricane's main camp for me this was my quote-unquote made it moment I knew deep down I wasn't good enough to play in the NHL but to attend an NHL camp and to be on the same ice as guys like Eric Stahl was such an honor Once being a bit starstruck wore off, I knew I had to do everything I possibly could to try and get to a single exhibition game. For that week, I probably looked like Rudy out there most days and was definitely that guy, quote-unquote, going way too hard at training camp skates. (laughs) Hardo. I never did get into an exhibition game and was cut about a week... Of cam- uh, I was cut after about a week of camp, which was the most likely outcome all along, but it was quite a ride, and a week of NHL per diem wasn't so bad either. In my exit interview, Paul was very blunt and basically told me I was not even close to being at the NHL level yet. <laughs> yeah, no crap, Paul. The other thing he told me was he appreciated how hard I worked and not to take that work ethic for granted, because work ethic and hard work is a skill, and he capitalized skill. I had never thought of it that way, and it has always stuck with me. Work ethic is no different from any other skill in hockey or sports. It is a skill you can get worse at if you don't practice it, but also a skill you can improve if you do practice it. It is a skill it is a skill that can make a good player great, an average player good, or a good player average, and a great player just good or even average. Young athletes need to understand to work on your other skills properly and and enough to improve them. You first must master the skill of work ethic or you will never maximize your other skills or potential in general and will likely look back with regrets, which must be a really crappy way to live and look back on your time as an athlete. So I I love that. And you hear the term will is a skill. I think that's something you hear in, in hockey. Uh, especially about guys like Jansen Harkins and and Mike and and a lot of people who maybe not maybe didn't have the talent getting up, but they just kind of willed their way. And it is. I think everything is a habit and nothing is either like you have it or you don't. I feel like almost everything in our lives is on a spectrum that you can get better at or you can get worse at based on the way that you choose to act on those things every day. So if you choose to work hard day after day after day, it's a skill that's going to become a habit, and then you can will your way into things. If it's something that's inconsistent – then that's just all you're going to be because those are the types of habits that you're not going to get. And I just thought that was a great story from Mike McKenzie, who is somebody very, very high up in the hockey world, head coach of the Kitchener Rangers, and the OHL. If you haven't listened to the podcast that we did with him, go back episode something <laughs> and, uh, and listen to it. It was one of the early ones. And uh, I just thought it was a really cool story. I wanted to share as you were talking about, uh, coach bear
1: there yeah, I love that. I, and I you know how I feel about like little notes and little anecdotes and little sayings to yourself, Will is a skill. I think that's a big one. And you know, I think that mental toughness and will needs to be practiced. You need to put yourself in hard situations, and practicing your will and mental toughness is something that we all need to constantly be working on.
0: absolutely. absolutely. And I love stories like that. I love stories like Jansen Harkins. I love stories like even Tyler Parks and Marty St. Louis who told their stories on our podcast. Just uh, people who legitimately willed their way. and and for, But to be honest, like for everybody that's willed their way, there's probably, I don't know, 25 people who had the talent that didn't will their way. And because they didn't have that will as a skill, weren't able to make it to – the levels that they aspired to be at and uh, it just goes to show you I, I think that the skill part of it in terms of your work ethic it's it's so much more important than than the talent and the skill however you wanted to find it because I mean I played in the East Coast League I played in the Central Hockey League there was a lot of talented players that I played with that if they had that will there's no way they should have been playing in the Central Hockey League, and the East Coast Hockey League. And I'm sure you ran in, in circles with players just like that as well. And it was always so frustrating just even talking to those guys about hockey because you're like, man, if you just had a different mindset, you wouldn't be here right now. <laughs> you would be somewhere way better awakened. In- Making much more money, um, but those people they typically choose to make excuses, and it was somebody else's fault that they're not in the AHL or they're not in the NHL or not at a higher level, whatever that level is. And uh, that always just used to frustrate me as a five foot four player, just being like, "Look in the freaking mirror, <laughs> you know, you've been blessed with some amazing things. Quit, quit blaming everybody else for the reason why you're on a line with me. <laughs> like, oh, you
1: should. I would have loved to been on a line better. with you." <laughs> Yeah, playing no, in the I mean, like,
0: playing in the Central Hockey League or the East Coast yeah. Hockey League—that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah,
1: those, yeah, one hundred percent. And you know, I think that's the biggest reason we started this podcast is try and help people learn how to not have those regrets, and because uh, they're going to look back and regret, you know, not having that will to to go with whatever their their talents are or whatever they've acquired. So. You know, I mean, I, I just always goes back to that. You don't want to be that guy or girl on the bar stool, and they're 30 years old looking back, being like, "I wish I would have, I wish I would have." So you got to build that will up and learn how to push yourself. Absolutely, man.
0: And uh, actually, this was a fantastic episode to talk to the coaches about how you can put kids in situations where they can build that will, they can build that skill. And uh, we talk about it's I, I love talking about the creativity part of it. And it, it's interesting talking about the creativity and how much like adversity and making kids fail is a part to teaching creativity. And uh, I don't know, just really, really cool episode. And before we get over to Brady, though, just have a few things. Uh, number one, I have a big thank you. So our conference that we're doing, Uh, On August 19th, 7 p.m. to 10 p.m., our our Back to Hockey conference that Jeff and I are both going to be speaking at. We also have some other amazing speakers that almost all of them have been on our podcast Brian Kane, Alyssa Gallardi, Pearl Nuremberg, who's a nutritionist, and Matt Calderoni, a resilience coach. I mean, there's going to be so many great, great actionable things that you can take from our speakers at this conference that you'll be able to use in your season next year which hopefully that season starts soon but we'll see and we just actually uh got on a title sponsor so Power Player is the title sponsor for this uh conference and they're awesome so basically what they do is they're an online company that's basically gives you data and and allows you as a coach to um put in data into a database so you can track your your players as you're going through a season so you can Put in there, like if it's a skill that you want them to get better at, or if it's your compete level or how they see the game or whatever, you can actually track a bunch of different things. You can time them on drills. They have these uh, presets already in there. I mean, it's just an amazing way as a coach to quantify development because a lot of times development and how we look at it is very, very subjective. And if there's a way that as a youth coach, you can, you can make it more objective. So you can say, okay, we worked on our skating all year okay, I timed them on the skating in August and now it's a second better on whatever the drill in, uh, in December. I mean that, that shows that you're doing your job as a coach, or maybe if they're not getting better it shows that you're not doing your job as a coach. Um, it's a, it's just a great tool to have. And we're very appreciative of power player. They were one of our sponsors last year at our conference that you spoke at in Chicago, uh, which went amazing. We're really looking forward to this one. So thank you to power player for coming on as a title sponsor. And if you want to register for it again, it's, August 19th, 7 to 10 p.m., three hours, six speakers, just going back to back to back. So you're getting really actionable items from all six people that can help you next year. Uh, go, to thehockeythinktank.com and, uh, go to the hockey think and go to the tap conferences and you can register today. Limited spots are ava- limited spots are available. Uh, so get them today. This is through Zoom and we only have a certain amount of spots that we can get. So uh, sign up today. It's only forty nine bucks and it's going to be a lot of fun.
1: Love it, man. I can't wait. I'm a Jeffrey Levecchio
0: talking about why elite athletes are elite. Yeah, baby. I'm excited to hear you talk about this.
1: Yeah, buddy. I gave gave this uh, a very similar speech to people at uh, Dell and Stryker and Medtronic as well. Nice. Now, you know, and just kind of talk because like just anyone who's elite, they do very similar things. And, uh, you know, we've got to work with a lot of elite athletes through uh, coaching, playing and all the all our experiences. So kind of compiled a list of some important things that I think uh, the the youngsters can work on.
0: Absolutely, man. Uh, Another thing that we want to talk about is uh, go to our YouTube page because we are going nuts on making content for YouTube. So typically I'm sure a lot of people that listen to this know that, uh, you know, every morning when hockey is on, I'm putting out uh, a video clip, my little things from last night. So what I'm actually doing for the playoffs and some of the people that have provided me feedback on this is like, I would actually would like a little bit more detail to what you're talking about because I only have 280 characters on, uh, on Twitter. Uh, so what I'm doing actually for the playoffs is I'm doing – I'm still doing my little things from last night, but then I'm making a bigger clip and going way more in detail about that clip that I'm putting on and putting that up onto YouTube. So every morning I'm, I'm going to have a, like a 40 40- – 40 to 45 second clip that's with my 280 characters, which I usually do. And then underneath that, it's going to be more of a deep dive, which I've been doing, which is going to get like way more into the details of why things happen on the ice. So check out our YouTube page, uh, subscribe to it. It's amazing. We only did this just like a couple months ago and we have over 600 subscribers already. So, um, we also have a a bunch of other content on there that you can check it out when you go there. So check out the YouTube page. It's pretty cool. I'll be there. (laughs) I like it. I like it. Uh, Another thing I do want to talk about, too, is uh, so a lot of people have been signing up lately for our vault. So our vault, it's kind of like our, uh, we, we're calling it our access to our experts, access to our vault of information. And it's our subscription site that we have through the hockey think tank and it's accessed at the And you get access to our conferences, our conference last year, you'll get access to our conference this year. Uh, a lot of different little skill breakdowns. We have drills from 20 plus division one coaches Um, So there's a drill share going on. And uh, one of the things that we have on there as well is you get access to our live webinars with our hockey think tank team. And so Mike Garman, who's an assistant coach with the Chicago Steel, uh, and he's in charge of their goalies, he did one today on how to get a really good goals against average without making saves. And it was a really awesome conversation and, and presentation and not just about like, making saves as a goalie but the other little intangibles that help you to keep the puck out of your net so stuff like communication with your defense uh your puck play covering pucks um you know blocking passes with your stick just all these little intricacies that goalies can do not necessarily making the saves but can help you out keeping the puck out of the net. It was a really, really cool one. And so we have some awesome speakers, uh, that are going through those. You can, you can get access to them through the live webinars and ask them questions on the webinars, but then also we video or we record them and we put it up on the site. So if you're not able to make it, so we have all this awesome, uh, awesome, awesome, uh, content that is on this website through the subscription. So go to access.thehockeythinktank.com and uh, subscribe to that today. It's You can do a monthly subscription. You can do a yearly subscription. And I encourage everybody, if you're loving the stuff that we're doing just for uh, a pretty small price, you can get even, even a little bit more. And uh, Jeff, I know you're subscribed and you love it, right?
1: I am subscribed. You are correct. <laughs> and I do love it. You are correct doubly. <laughs>
0: Good stuff, man. All right. Well, uh, let's say our thank yous and then let's head it over to Brady because this was a fantastic conversation.
1: I just want to thank uh, Gelsticks, title sponsor, G E L S T X dot That is gelsticks.com for weighted training aids. You can use their golf gel sticks, hockey gel sticks, lacrosse gel sticks. They're all unbelievable. Uh, I have both in the gym and the boys love using them mess around with them we use them on the ice off the ice also want to say thank you to train heroic where i have my programs up online the easiest cleanest training app in the game by far but uh truly love their partnership and uh their help getting out all my programs during COVID and everything and moving forward what i'll be doing with their platform so thank you to them as well
0: good stuff and as always thank you to all our listeners you guys are so loyal and we so appreciate your support for what we're doing here to try to make the hockey world a, a more positive and better place and through the parent and coach and player education and, and through the guests that we're able to bring on here uh, we, we learn so much and hopefully you guys do too and you keep tuning in you keep providing us with feedback uh, whether it's you know just through social media whether it's through sharing us with your groups whether it's uh, on iTunes or Apple podcast where you're giving us ratings or shooting us reviews I mean that's it, it means the world to us. And we thank you so much for being along on this ride. And, and you guys are gonna absolutely love this one uh, with associate professor and a PhD in education at Fair State University. So without further ado, here we go with Brady Flax. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast from beautiful Big Rapids, Michigan. He is an associate professor at the School of Education at Ferris State. He is a PhD in educational leadership, and we are really, really excited to talk some teaching, talk some coaching with Brady Flack. So Brady, how are we doing today?
2: Uh, doing great, guys. Thanks so much. Uh, it's, it's truly an honor and a pleasure to be here and, and uh, have a conversation with you guys. So.
0: For sure. Well, uh, you know, Jeff, rival Ferris State. I believe they were the team that ended your hockey career at Western Michigan, right?
1: They were in Ferris.
0: I have to say, so of all the places that I've either played or coached, I I think the rink at Ferris State is probably the hardest place to win as a as an away team. Would you? What do you think, as somebody that played there a little bit more?
1: Uh. It was definitely hard to play there. I mean, I everyone always said Western is, like, the hardest place they ever oh played God. at, but that was my home <laughs> rink. No, I'm serious. Like, ask anyone that played in the CCHA, they would always be like, Michigan and Western. But I, I don't know. Like, Ferris was hard, for sure. CCHA, like, I mean, Michigan was so good when I played that, like, it didn't matter if they were playing in the nicest rink or the worst rink. Like, they were so good we were going to lose, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Ferris knocked us out of playoffs. They swept us. So, uh, kudos to them that's for sure yeah
0: yeah for sure well we were talking before we came on here and uh, Brady the first question I want to ask you I would probably say one of the most well-liked people in the college hockey community is the head coach there at Fair State Bob Daniels and just an amazing human and uh, just so much respect from everybody in college hockey um, what's it been like I know you have a little bit of a relationship with him and and have had some good conversations with him so what's your experience been like in in interacting with coach D and uh, just why is he so good? He's been amazing for so many years.
2: Yeah, he's, he's phenomenal. Um, And uh, always like, like we say, you know, uh, just an open door mentality. So anybody can come ask him anything. Um, He'll, he'll interact with you. You know, he, he he never hesitates to have a conversation with me or enlighten me on different things. And I think the, I think the greatest thing about uh, coach Daniels is just he he's, he kind of models uh, what a coach and what a teacher should be in that constant willingness and desire to learn. Like he's always asking, you know, questions of other guys. And uh, when we have conversations, he mentions things that he's seen and um, in, in, in always exploring new ideas and just, uh, just a great, great human being and a great coach.
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, to have that much longevity at one place, I mean, College hockey is different than pro hockey where you can have a little bit more longevity, but he's been there forever and has done an amazing job. And in fact, I'm sure like myself, you've played with guys in pro uh, or played with guys before pro that played at Ferris and they all just absolutely love their experience there. And uh, a lot of that has to go to, to Coach D and his coaching staff there as well.
1: Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about that that program for sure. Yeah. He, he's terrific. It's, you know, it's, we're lucky
2: to be in a small town, have that kind of that environment. We hopefully carry that over to the rink. It sounds like we do. So we take a little pleasure in that, you know, being hard to play in and being a small town, everybody knows each other, but uh, the hockey team too, coach, coach, D, make sure it's, it's infused with the community, you know? So we have ambassador programs uh, that we support the students and, and the players wherever they're coming from and, and, and make it feel small and, and, and inclusive. It's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, we're excited to dive into your expertise here and uh, have have, uh, so many questions. I mean, Jeff and I, we talk about on the podcast all the time how, you know, coaching hockey is not just coaching hockey. It's it's about teaching. It's about motivation. It's about all these other little intricacies, all these other skills that we need to learn, rather than coaching the X's and the O's and the skills and all that kind of stuff. So um, we're we're so excited to have you on here to to pick your brain on how we can get better at the other side of of coaching, the teaching aspect of it. And and the first one that I have for you is one of the th- one of the things that I feel like there's a huge debate in not just hockey but in sports is teaching creativity can you teach creativity? Or is that something that's just God given? And, and I'm sure if you ask 100 different people, you'll get 100 different answers on the spectrum of yes, you can no, you can't. So as an educator, um, and creativity is such an important aspect of, of what you do. So can you enlighten us a little bit on how much we can teach creativity? And if we can how we can teach that?
2: Sure, sure. And it, I, th- I think you can, um, you know, at least you can, like any other skill set that, that a student or a player has, you can at least enhance it or sometimes just get out of the way and allow it to blossom or create the environment that would support it and allow it to happen. So, um, so as much as we can maybe facilitate it, I think we can destroy it uh, very quickly. So if we're not structuring things the right way, it, we're very much probably more easily able to inhibit it than, than develop it and grow it. Um, and usually that's that's an us problem as coaches and teachers. Um, you know the kids have it uh, a lot of them, and they they have you know a spectrum of ability and a spectrum of amount of it. Um, but but sometimes we're a little bit too good at squashing that and making sure it needs to fit our box.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So th- a couple of things that you said there, I want to dive into a little bit, and that's the, the environment and the structure of it. So what type of environment and what kind of structure can we provide for our players and for our kids to make sure that we're bringing out that creativity rather than, I think you, the word you use, is squashed it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I think you know one of the biggest concepts that, uh, that I'm interested in or want to bring forward is just the intentionality. Um, you know, education, I think to relate it to coaching and, and very similar is one of those fields that, uh, it's, it's unique in which most people have had 12 or 13 years of lived experience in it. And, and they're not an educator, but through, through going to school, playing on teams, we get to see educators, coaches in good way, bad ways. And sometimes, you know, we, we think we know it and we think we know how to do that when really there's so much more that goes on behind the scenes that people probably can appreciate. Um, because they don't get to see it. They don't know how that works. So so there's a lot of intentionality that coaches uh, and definitely teachers have to have. So creating those environments and really not having it happenstance, but really thinking about how do I create an environment, whether it be for students or hockey players, to be able to, to invoke their creativity? How do I empower them? Um, and maybe remove some barriers. And sometimes that's a little bit hard because we have to let go of control a little bit. Um, and a lot of us like to control every detail in every situation instead of just letting it happen so uh, but I intentionally do that I create whether it be drills or situations or classroom experiences that empower the players um, that empower the students to allow them to do that in in I think that's really really important but it's very very intentional it doesn't just happen
1: and how much does that have to does like failing and learning from failure factor into creativity because you said like stepping out of the way as the educators or the coaches or the leaders. Cause I think about like every time that I've messed up on something, like it makes forces me to be creative and learn a different way of doing it or, or, you know, finding a way to, to solve that, that problem. And I feel like too many times coaches step in right away and they're like, no, 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 do it like this, do it like this like right away. Uh, is that, is that a problem? If,
2: if I, I think it a hundred percent is a problem and in, in, you know, as teachers, we're in the service profession as coaches, we want to see people do well. That, that's the bottom line. We want to see growth, we want to see development. And uh, a lot of it has to come from adversity. So that balance between how do I support a player or a child through adversity, versus removing it. And when we see that happen with parents a lot too is, it's hard to watch somebody struggle. Um, and, and to be able just to support and facilitate that, not just completely remove it and make that path easier for them because they're not learning, you know, when we, when we change the constructs and make it too easy for them, we have to support them through it and let them know we're there, um, that they're not, they're not on their own, but it's okay. It's okay to struggle and have to go back to the drawing board. And, and some of the, some of the classrooms and some of the, uh, teams I coach I actually tell the players and the parents that if things are going too well, I'm going to mess it up. I'm, I'm going to create some adversity because that's what we need to have. So um, be looking for that. You know, we're not going to fail you, but, but we want to mix it up a little bit here. We, we want you to feel supported, but struggle.
0: Yeah. So how hard is that? Because you're both, you're an expert in education and you're also a parent. You have four boys. As somebody who is an expert in knowing how important it is to watch your kids struggle, or I shouldn't say watch your kids struggle, but let your kids struggle, like having that background in education, how how do you balance that as a parent too? Is it like, is it even hard for you to, to take a step back? Um, because I'm, I'm a new parent too. And and that's something that we're trying to figure out every day, what that balance is um, as, as our three-year-old is trying to do everything and gets hurt every day and, and all that kind of stuff. So as a parent, how do you kind of like balance the two knowing what, you it, know, it's really hard
2: Yeah, <laughs> and, and add, you know, the coaching element in there, trying to coach your own kids. It's even harder. Um, and, and one thing my wife and I talk about a lot is we probably parent differently with a child. We just call them by numbers. Cause we can't remember their names. Uh, we, we, <laughs> when you have four boys, it's hard to, hard to keep track. And we're not even that old yet, but, uh, someday, you know, so it, we parent probably a little bit differently with number four than we did with number one, as far as some of the risk taking, you know, uh, we've learned that it's, it's okay. And we, and I think it's common for parents to be, we're probably a little protective of number one and, you know, don't, don't fall down. And, and now it's, uh, Oh yeah, who cares? We're, we're great. Good to go. You know? Um, you know, I, I always tell the story. One time, I walked home from, or I came home from class. It was late at night. Uh, the house just looked beautiful. I was like, "Wow, this is great." And uh, my wife's reading a book on the couch. And there's, you know, walk-ins just pristine. And there's a human tooth on the floor. I was like, "Hey, Michelle, what, what happened?" She's like, uh, oh, I don't know. You know, but
1: the kids are in bed. Like, we were having fun." <laughs> number something four, happened. something happened in <laughs> number four. He's okay. He's yeah, number yeah, four. it was good to go.
2: So it was like, <laughs> oh, all right. You know, with the first child, we probably would have panicked and like, oh my gosh, like, oh. Uh, we're fine. So. so
0: so actually with that, I, I have a question for you because we actually studied, I got my master's in coaching at Miami of Ohio. And one of the things that we read about and studied was birth order and how just the difference between types of jobs that the firstborns get versus the lastborns and different in, in the sports. I'm trying to think of a few examples. Like I think one of the examples was in baseball, a lot more firstborns were catchers a lot more control, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And a lot more of the later born children uh, actually stole bases a lot more than firstborns. Yeah. just uh, the risk thing, not afraid to fail type thing. And there were so many different examples like mm-hmm. that from career paths to personality types. It's just, it, it's interesting. Did you guys learn much about that? Or is that something that you guys talk about in your field?
2: uh not as much um but definitely it's something we 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 definitely talk about or we see you know so so my wife other families with multiple children we're constantly talking about it just how different that is um i can see it so as you talk about how do we you know create creativity and do different things i always kind of get mad at myself and you know and and kick the door maybe on wow with number one you know i should have probably done this i probably should have allowed this more because now with number four i do uh and, and that goes right down to coaching like he's you know number 4 is a little bit more the the gunslinger and number 3 like they're a little bit more risk taker and I was like oh I love that and with number 1 he's he's pretty strict it's like well I probably had something to do with that you know? <laughs> so so we absolutely do do that
1: yeah it's well, so interesting i i didn't learn that you know you guys got all your degrees at su where i went <laughs> <laughs> what is su so to i have no idea subway university are you oh kidding me? <laughs>
0: well i live near syracuse so su is syracuse oh, all. Okay. that's all everybody, everybody talks about
2: yeah I, from, I could chime in with a western michigan comment too but i'll just
1: <laughs> no but I, I i'm just thinking like from a coaching perspective or a trainer's perspective that might be a good question to ask new new players new clients something like that because that might help you understand how they learn and, and their personality traits. That's something I never would have thought to have asked, but I think I'm, I'm, tomorrow I'm going to start asking the guys that. So that's pretty It might cool. be
0: interesting just from like an anecdotal point of view, because you already have yeah. like a, your view of what these kids are and how they go about doing things. And I right. wonder if it would fit the narrative of kind of what we're talking about right now.
1: Yeah. I'm going to make some guesses. I'm going to write down on a piece <laughs> of paper, some guesses what, what I think each guy is. It's really valuable,
2: I think, too, for us as uh, as educators and like youth hockey coaches, because as I interact with parents and find out those things, it it you can see some of that. Um, so, you know, oftentimes, too, we, we may stereotype as an educator. Well, I had his brother. I had his sister. And sometimes the mind trap is it's the same name. It's got to be the same kid. And that's it's it's so not true. Um, but I think it's that same way in, in hockey or you start to see some of their personality traits on the ice and like, oh, well, you have four older brothers. I see. You. <laughs>
0: <laughs> fight for every inch that you Absolutely. get.
2: Absolutely, you're yeah. a great 200 <laughs> player, aren't you? You know, because you are, uh, You've had to fight for meals. So,
1: and even just from the coach talking to the parents in youth hockey, if you know it's somebody's first child maybe you know that they're going to have the, you know, the the kid gloves on for lack of a better word. And they're going to be a little bit more intense, a little bit more strict. And if it's their second, third, fourth, maybe they're a little more lax and easier to talk to and approach. So that's definitely, that's interesting.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's it's great information to know, you know, we don't want to make assumptions, but you can see it play out, you know, and it's it's great information for us to have as teachers and coaches.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Well, cool. That was a nice little, nice little set. Like, nice little detour there, but uh, it's fun stuff to talk about, but, uh, getting, getting back to it here, Brady, um, you know, one of the things that we talk about and was even in, you know, before we got on here, one of the things that you had mentioned that would be good to talk about was the how over the what, and not necessarily what we're teaching, but how we're teaching it, how we go about, um, again, putting the kids in the environment, the way that we're acting and interacting with them and how important that is. So, you know, how important is that? And how do you think if you were to give some advice to some coaches or some teachers, um, from your experience, um, and your educational background, what are, what are some tips, what's some advice in, in how to engage kids in the learning process?
2: Yeah, I think it's absolutely critical. And I'm really, I was really fortunate to, um, to be able to volunteer a little bit with USA Hockey and do some stuff. So I'm so proud of the kind of the direction they're going with that too, in, in really focusing on how do how do we teach and how do we make sure that learners learn, you know? So um, content, content's so important. It's it's important for teachers too, but it's almost like one of those prereqs, like I'm going to just, you have to know content. If if you're going to teach science, you're going to teach math. I'm just going to assume you you already know it really, really well. Now let's focus on how do we make sure we're we're delivering that and facilitating those experiences uh, for our players and for our students. Um, So the how for me um, is is equally or or definitely more important than, than the what um, there's great content out there. There's great videos. You guys do a great job. I know you do some specific what type stuff too, and it's phenomenal. Um, but, but really focusing on the how is is, is so important because, um, as I said before, I, the teacher, the coach is, is really in charge of all of those constructs. There's an intentionality with how they design everything. So you really got to focus on, on the how and how you're placing things. Um, you know, having set objectives, both for the season, for the class, for the year, um, but also daily, you know, and, and make sure those are clearly communicated. Um, and in, in there, there's many other ways too, that, uh, that coaches can make sure that they're, they're thinking about the, how How are they breaking apart groups, you know? So, so really doing a lot of reflecting and saying, if, if this is something I'm seeing us doing really well or, or doing poorly, why? You know, it, it, maybe a lot of times it's on us, we haven't created that environment to, to promote those skills, whether it be creativity or something else. If you're, if your players are struggling with creativity, it's probably not the players, you know, it's, it's probably how we're creating things, how we're designing things. And that's, that's the how versus what we're teaching them. Their edge mark might be great. Their, their stick handling might be great and all that skill stuff. But if they're not creating, if you're not creating an environment for that to flourish, that's, that's on us.
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, so my, as we spoke about before, my my sister's a special education teacher, and I talk about some of this stuff with her all the time. And it seems like there's a big push in the education field for kind of like, student led learning, where, as the teacher, you have to be adaptable. And as the teacher, you kind of have to take certain cues from the students or the players, and then, um, you know, provide them with an environment or tasks or whatever it may be to you know I don't know if it's let them flourish with their strengths or whatever it is but is that something that you guys talk about is that something that's big and what you're teaching right now is being more student-led rather than like top-down teacher kind of like yeah preaching
2: (laughs) absolutely I can you know the the days of the sit and get are are just gone you know uh, players uh, students they just don't pay attention to that it doesn't it doesn't anchor them. It doesn't spark their, their enthusiasm to want to learn. So in, in for, for good reason, you know, when we're engaged in something, when we're doing something, we're, we're active in it. We are more willing to, to learn from it, more able to learn from it. So it, it's definitely switched, um, you know, in, in, in just kids are different societies, different things like that. So there, there is a, a need for that as well.
0: Yeah. Well, so, so you've been uh, a teacher and an educator for quite some time now. How how much do you think that field has changed? Because I feel like coaching has changed a ton in the amount of time that when we were playing VEX, even when we were like younger, even as we were getting up kind of through college, maybe a decade ago, it's just so much different. Is it similar in the education field where it's just so different in how you do it?
2: Absolutely. You know, uh, there, there's themes and there's things that are kind of cyclical that kind of come and go and come back around and in some trends, but uh, education as a whole has has changed so much. You know, I look back on my preparation as an educator and it's nowhere near what our students are getting now in, in the requirements and what they're asked to do. And um, it's it's great. It's terrific. But there's There's so much more focus now on pedagogy, um, how, how we do things, uh, social, emotional skills and learning and and creating those environments, um, you know, inclusivity of all learners and how to modify and how to differentiate. And those are all skills that as a coach, I mean, the more, you know, about those, just the more effective you are at reaching all of your players. And that's really key.
0: Yeah, totally. So let's, let's dive into that a little bit, the socio-emotional, um, the socio-emotional part of it, because that's hard. I feel like, um, having to read people, having to read their attitudes or moods. And uh, it just, it's such an important, huge part of coaching that, I feel like we don't learn about ever, unless you really go out of your way to really learn about those things. It's not really like, it's easy to go on YouTube and look up a forecheck or to look up a a practice, how to drop a practice plan and all that kind of stuff. When coaching the person is, is 90% of the job and, and picking up on socio uh, or social and and emotional things. Um, So if you could, again, maybe from an advice or a tip standpoint, uh, as, as an educator, how can you give us some, some tips on how to maybe read the social, emotional cues of kids and and what to do there.
2: Sure. I I think uh, to go back to, um, to your brother, when he was on actually not too long ago, like he nailed it and just talking about trust. So, so first you better be able to establish that trust in those communication loops you know, as a coach, I, I better be approachable. i better. Now I can still um, have intentionality with my practices and set a tone and set a pace. And I need to do that. And that's one thing that uh, you know, we can dive into more too, but the teacher and the coach is like an actor or an actress when you're on the ice or, or leading up to when you're in that room um, you're, you're acting, you're, you're, you it takes so much energy and emotion because you're so intentional in creating what that environment needs to be. And I can push harder with my students and, and uh, with my players when they know that they can also trust me though. So I got to look for opportunities where it's one-on-one where I can push the whole group and we're doing skating drills and I want this tempo and I want this focus, but then I'm also going to pull that student or that player aside, you know, when we're in a drill or something else and chat with them and joke with them a little bit and, uh, you know, kind of let them in on it. So, so creating that trust, um, I think is, is really, really critical for us. Um, and like you said, just being able to, to read those students and the more you do it, I think if you're intentional and you're looking for it, you'll get better at it too. And knowing that's something I need to plan for. I need to plan for the, the tonality. I need to plan for communication where um, to make sure my players see me as somebody they can trust and, and talk to and being intentional with, with those on ramps, the times to be able to do that.
0: Very cool. Very cool. One of the things that I've been talking a lot about in terms of coaching and, and exactly what you're saying and building that trust is is humanizing. And and as a coach, being a human being and not a coach. And it's almost like the more your, your players or your students kind of get to know you and you get more humanized to them where you're not just like, Mr. Flax or Mr. Lavecchio, you're, you're like another person that they, they, they know. And I'm not saying that you have to be their friend or, you know, anything like that, but I I feel like the more human you are, the more your players think you're a human and and a regular person that has strengths and weaknesses and good days and bad days and and all of that. And the more approachable, vulnerable you are, I think that goes a long way. Would you like, what would you kind of say to that?
2: I totally agree. And I think I, unfortunately I've had, I'm continuing to learn that lesson. I had to learn it the hard way. So
0: me too. Uh, yeah. I think coach. all of us as coaches, especially yeah. the way we grew up, where it wasn't like that, it was a top down, everybody is the same and, and all that kind of stuff. That's, it's, it's how we grew up. That's how we learned.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, my first probably eight to 10 years of coaching. I think I coached as a player who couldn't play anymore. You know, so so really passionate about the game and doing these all and, and real hard on things. And and I, you know, I had to take a little break there because I think I was wearing players out a little bit. And it was like, what what really is my focus? Um, and I need to be approachable. I need to be human. So I did take a step back and go, you know, I got to invest in those individuals. And, and really the key is they can learn so much more and become so much better when I empower them. And when I'm really focused on their advancement versus just being good at the game, you know, having an expectation of yourself that's higher than you ever thought it could be, you know, in, in executing that, going through some adversity. But as soon as I started to focus on those elements versus maybe some of the content and some of the, the skill specific stuff, it was amazing. And, and those are the things you remember. You remember players coming up to you who, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're going through some rough times or, or just thought more of themselves and they go on to achieve things and that and, and carries over to life. And it's so critical. So um, it, it's a big stuff that we're doing when we do that, when we, when we make ourselves a little vulnerable too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I always felt like, and, and, and the more I coach, the, the older I get and the more I interact with the kids, I feel like one of my biggest wins in terms of how we were able to develop kids is like, if that kid had more confidence at the end of the year than they did at the beginning of the year and not even necessarily like, obviously from a hockey standpoint, but just as an overall person standpoint if you know maybe there's a kid where you don't really know them really well and they kind of walk in and whenever they see you, I mean, we've all coached the kids who put their eyes on the ground because they're so shy or whatever and then maybe at the end of the year the kid's giving you a hug and it just opened up more I feel like that's a huge part of coaching and and if we want to determine how successful we are as coaches I think I feel like that's a halfway decent benchmark what would you, you think so
2: I think it's terrific, but to challenge that idea a little bit too, because, you know, a lot of things we can say and do, they're cliche. We know it is good. We know it should be good. But how do we actually do that then? And, and do we make that a goal? Uh, do we write that down? I know, Jeff, you've talked in the past. You're a goal guy. You like to write things down and you like to, you know, have that visual. Are we establishing that as a goal for our, for our players and for our students and writing it down and saying, if I'm going to establish that as a goal, how am I going to measure that, assess that, and, and how am I going to make sure that I'm also doing that in my, my lesson plans or my daily plans? So it's great to talk about it, and I, and I think it's so critical. But then rubber has to hit the road at a certain point where we have to design our instruction and our practices so we're doing that. So if, if you want to empower players and you say that's a goal and develop confidence, show me where you're doing it in your practice. Um And and it'd be amazing because sometimes we can look back through the year and go, geez, I don't know. You know, I think I did it here or it's very subjective, but being really intentional and in, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, if I need to move the team logistically from one place to another, maybe I empower a player to do that, to go speak to his teammates who normally wouldn't to say, Hey, this is what I want to see. I want this thing to happen in warmups today or whatever it happens to be. You got this man, go do it, go rock it And, and empowering them to do some of those things.
1: Love that. I think there's a lot of different ways that, that coaches, especially at the little bit older ages could do. I've only coached um, in the last few years, 16s and 18s, but like you can do that through video showing good clips, you know uh, the way that, that my head coach and I kind of worked out the practices. <laughs> he basically did everything and I would just float around the ice and I would notice a guy, you know, doing something right or doing something wrong. And I'd, I'd be, he was the, the, the macro and I was the micro and I would go up to different players and say, hey, like, I see that you're focusing on shooting and stride every time. Like, I just watched you score two out of five. Last week, you scored zero out of five. Or, hey, that doesn't look like, you know, we can, we can tighten it up. And then when they do, then sh- telling them, hey, like, how much better did that feel? You just beat the goalie or you just did this or you just did that. So every practice, like, we had the macro and then we had the assistant coaches being a little more micro-focused. And you can't give someone confidence you can help them see that they're doing a good job, which confidence from realizing that they are. And, uh, you know, I think that's just something that I've always tried to do. And I've had a lot of success in helping people see the good things that they are doing, which, you know, in turn gives them self-confidence.
2: Yeah. I I think that's huge. And I, I applaud you for doing that and taking on that role. And I think that's another piece where we have to be intentional as coaches and have those conversations. So, you know, if, if the head guy is running that that drill, that situation, knowing my role maybe modifies a little bit. Now I got to be and the cool part is it's a great time to build some one on one. Right. And, and to reach some of those players. And so as they're coming back in line, I'm there giving them some positive feedback, but also maybe maybe asking them a little bit. So, you know, why why'd you make that decision there? I'm not saying it was bad. Just what'd you read? What'd you do? And empower them, you know, that way too. And it's a great way to have communication with them and know I'm not coming down on them. I'm supporting them. I'm building them up, tell them some great stuff. So, um, you know, I, I get the pleasure of coaching high school hockey as well with, with Jeff Blash, a brother actually at, at Ferris. So we have a great time there. And, you know, a lot of time he's, he's the voice and I get to kind of support it. And it's, it's a blast to be in a different role than, than the head coach of a team or the, or the leader of the instruction in a classroom.
0: That's awesome. I think the other thing that that does too, when you have, you know, specific roles, but then when you kind of switch it up a little bit, maybe as a head coach, you do a little bit more one-on-one. I think that's good for, for professional development for coaches too, because you have, I've worked for, for coaches that, you know, assistant coaches don't run any of the drills or blow the whistles and, and they're just kind of doing one thing. And then I've worked for coaches who the assistant coaches are, you know, in charge of the pace of practice at certain points and they have to be the more macro. And I think when you can do all of those things, I think those are just really good skills for a coach, even a teacher to to have to be able to be a little bit more well-rounded um, as you're moving up through.
2: Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's so hard if, if you're the leader or that uh, of that practice or the head coach to, to do all of it. Cause like I said, you're on stage, you're acting, you have to create the pace, the intentionality that you want that practice or that, that lesson to have and to have that and and to work with your assistant coaches or your co-teachers to say, today, you take the lead. This is what it's going to look like. It also gives you as an opportunity as a, as a coach to step back and maybe do some assessment because sometimes we're so focused on, on that macro. And some of the other things I get to individually watch a certain thing with a player, with a student, or, you know, kind of see, am I seeing their progression? So it gives us a chance to step back, which is really healthy too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, you, you mentioned the word intentionality a lot so far. And, and I think Jeff, it's the most excited I've ever seen him because that's one of his favorite words as well. Intention. I believe you have it up in your, your gym. And uh, one of the things that I think you guys have in common and too, in terms of your preparation for what you're doing is, uh, you know, Brady beforehand, when we kind of discussed some of the things that we wanted to talk about, you talked about using a backwards design on a season or even like a daily planning level. And I know that's something that Jeff, you talk about regression, you know, always going back and, and building from, from behind. Um, so if you can, uh, Brady, just talk a little bit about what you mean by kind of using a backwards design. And then uh, I'm just going to let you two talk because I know this is something that, that you two both really enjoy.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I think that the easiest way probably for, uh, for me to explain is to take it back to my family again. You know, with the four boys, um, I won't share my grocery bill. But uh, <laughs> when, when buying groceries, when doing meal prep with all four of them skating and stuff like that, um, having intentionality in the groceries we buy <laughs> is a big deal. So the kids get to pick a meal, you know, so Monday night you're in charge. What are we going to have? And then you buy your grocery list based on that. You know what's going to happen. So we're not sitting around on a Monday before practice going, "What should we make?" You know, nothing's nothing's thought out, nothing's ready to go. What are we doing? Um, it just takes a little pressure off. It's nice to have our, you know. So so, uh, bear with me, I guess, while while I make meal comments here. But uh, uh, it, it it's the Getting same. Yeah, it's the same thing with with planning. Uh, you know, our practices and in in what we hope to see. Um, from a developmental standpoint, uh, social, emotional, physical, those types of things, really starting with the end in mind. Where do I want this group of players to be or students to be by the end of this whole thing? Um, And you build backwards from that and and know that it's a process. You know, it's not gonna happen overnight. Sometimes we get trapped like, man, I went to a tournament this weekend, I noticed, you know, uh, boy, our angling really, (laughs) it was bad, it was brutal. So, uh, the knee jerk reaction as a coach is, well, everything's angling this week, you know, and, it's, and we can derail ourselves and maybe and alter our focus from where it should be. Um, it's important to have those things, and that's formative feedback and assessment we use. But uh, knowing where we're going um, and building from there, I think, is really, really critical.
1: I love that. I, I think the same way in terms of the gym, uh, I look at a pyramid. You know, you start at the top and that's the peak date. So for NHL guys, usually around September 15th, that's when training camp is. And then you just work backwards down the pyramid at the top. It's what do I need them to be able to do on and what kind of shape and what weight and whatever uh, at the top of the pyramid. And then you slide on on an angle back down to the start date and you break it up in sections. Okay, this section will do this. It'll be this many weeks, this section, this section. We need off weeks. And, uh, at the bottom of the pyramid, it's obviously wider. So usually you're working on more basic skills and that's probably goes for any sports schooling or in the gym with what I do. And as you get towards the top of the pyramid, you narrow your focus more and more to whatever that ultimate goal or whatever you're peaking quote unquote for, um, at the top of the pyramid.
2: Yep. I agree. It keeps us balanced too. So we don't, uh, we don't try to jump to that peak too quick and forget about some of those foundational skills, like you mentioned, like, we we got to build that foundation first. So if I if I just get preoccupied with this end result, um, and I don't do all the little steps to get there, uh, it, it's not going to happen. You know, it's that process. So I think that's really really important in in how we practice plan, how we we uh, lesson plan, and making sure we're we're sticking to those concepts and building that foundation first, and then advancing it.
1: One hundred percent, if I got to tell you this story because I don't think I've told this on the podcast. As one of the most ridiculous things I've ever done. But, uh, remember Dave Krisky, who I went to school with? Absolutely. Great, Great man. Absolute beauty. So after freshman year, he was like, obviously like, you know, Bex, you're a savage. Like I'm going to stay by you all of summer. I'm training next to you. Like you, uh, here's you, here's me, you know, here's you, here's, Chris Farley. Uh, yeah, I like, got he's that. Like, he's like, I'm going to be right. Were you guys living week.
0: in a van down by the river?
1: <laughs> no, but we were living in the same apartment. Um, <laughs> But yeah, he's like, whatever you do, I'm going to do like, I, I, you know, whatever. And so like within the first week, like I just, he's a great man, but I thought he's a little bit mentally weaker as far as pushing through like those hard things. And so I said to him, I whispered in his ear one day, we we're doing some upper body exercise. I remember exactly where we were standing in the gym. And uh, I, his girlfriend at the time's name was Tila. And I was like, I whispered in his ear. I'm like, if you quit, someone's going to shoot Tila in the head. And yes, this is so ridiculous. However, however, like if you think like he got through every set the rest of the day, the rest of the day, every set. I was like, I'm not kidding. Pretend someone has a gun to her head. And if you drop that weight, she's going to die. And I know this is so ridiculous. I so don't say this to your kids, but obviously you can take this <laughs> to, to like a lower extreme. And he was laughing and stuff. But I was like, no, seriously, pretend he did everything that day he had to do. And so we'd always laugh about it, but he'd always bring it back. And that flipped that switch of intention. When you do something, you're doing it to do it right, to do it well, to do it hundred percent. And if you don't have that intention behind it or that meaning or that reason why, you know, you're not gonna be able to do it as well, as as good, as fast, like whatever your, your goal is, whatever the action is you're trying to get. So like, that's when I really realized how important intention is. Uh, with everything you do and like that kind of shaped, like how I do things. Obviously, I don't tell everyone, pretend your mom's going to die. But I have said things weird before <laughs> to, that, to get a little bit extra out of the voice.
0: Oh, you're a beauty. That's hilarious. <laughs> it worked. That I mean, that brings up a good point, though, because, I mean, we've talked about it a lot. And, and uh, Brady, I'd love to get your kind of point of view on it, too. But the the whole what's your why thing, I mean, it's, it's everything. Um, it's it does, it gives purpose, it gives meaning, it gives intention, like you said, and it gives you kind of that, that just, yeah, like that purpose of why you're doing what you're doing. So how do you, how do you encourage kids to get that? Um, How, how can you teach that in terms of allowing kids, whether it's allowing kids to figure it out or giving them certain frameworks or situations where they can figure it out? How, how would you guys go about maybe helping a kid figure out his meaning, his purpose, his why or her? Sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a heavy question here. So that that's great though. But I think um to, to bring back, not to overuse the word, but intentionality, Um, you know, creating, you know, you guys talk a lot about culture, creating a culture that supports them so they can figure it out. Cause I'm not going to know, that for everybody, you know, but, but I know great educators and great coaches work on transferable skills, and they have intentionality and they start to think about those things. So, you know, as as I'm introducing a concept, or we see some adversity, I'm constantly relating that back to their lives or to real lives or their future lives. So to say, you know, it, it, as teachers, as coaches, we're always teaching and always coaching. And people need to remember that I've been Unfortunately, in so many situations um, where I've seen, you know, coaching against another coach and he just loses it and then the players lose it. And it's like, what you're still teaching though, you're you're still coaching at this point. And and what are we reinforcing? So making sure we're reinforcing the right things that let the players and let the students kind of transfer those skills to their life, that they can unlock those things. Cause I don't know. I don't know what my 14 year old is going to do in life. I know that he loves hockey. And so I see his hockey journey as a potential to learn about people, to make new friends, uh, to be in situations and go to tryouts that maybe he's the only one in the room from his region and it's uncomfortable, but also to develop his passion and go, if you really love this, then, then let's find a way. It could be coaching. It could be equipment. It could be anything. Um, so, so creating scenarios and creating situations where the players feel supported um, and there's this culture of development, I think is really important to let them figure out their why.
0: Yeah. And like one of the reasons are there. Yeah. And do you think that playing multiple sports and giving kids the opportunity to do different things is a big part of that too? Because it's like, it's almost like when we talk about the recruiting process of choosing the school that you want to go to, and this was something that we would do at Cornell. It's like, we don't think you should visit one school because then that's all, you know, and then if you visit other schools let's say you you take four or five different visits then you know v- much more that that's the place that i want to go to and it's kind of similar with sports where it's like okay if i only know one sport then how can you really get that passionate in it because you haven't had these other experiences as well so do you think there there's a lot of merit i know we talk about so many different things when it comes to sports specialization versus letting kids play multiple sports. But do you think that that's a big part of it too, in terms of letting the kids figure out their why?
2: Absolutely. I think it's, I think it's a, uh, one of those things that's once again, critical, um, you know, the, to be able to be in new situations and to, to experience different things. I always, I always struggle with the, the kid that said, well, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to focus on this cause I'm good at it. Yeah, you are, but uh, if you like what do you like competition is that hopefully what drives you not just being good at something like i love to compete you know we we had right you guys all probably had rival schools well man if i could play four sports against that school and beat them in every single one i would love that like (laughs) like that's what i want out of an athlete like man i i I don't know how to play tennis but if i get to play against those guys i'll learn you know I I, that, that drive that compete and i think uh they learn that by playing different sports i think they also learn to appreciate, you know, the sport they are good at, and maybe their role, and I, and I love to see a, a player, a student who has maybe a niche, but then also has to take a different role on a different team, because you learn how to be a leader, maybe over here, but followership is just as important, and you get to learn how to do that over there, and uh, to know that, yeah, you know, you're not the best at this, and you're going to have to work through this, and I think that's, there's so much you can benefit from, you know, later in life and those, those transferable skills.
0: Yeah, totally. Totally. For sure. Um, yeah, we, I mean, we talk about so many different things when it comes to the sports specialization versus the, uh, just how bad it is and all the research coming out and everything. But yeah, it's, it's interesting from, from your point of view, from, as an educator too, even going even deeper into it, um, I love that. Um, I want to, I want to shift gears a little bit here though. Um, because one of the things that Jeff and I do talk about a lot and, and you have it and we talked a little bit about it before we even got on here and that's communication. And it goes a little bit to the, the how versus the what type of stuff. And, and just communication is everything. I feel like every, every like problem or every issue within a team or within a company or whatever it always just stems from bad communication (laughs) and things aren't clear um so as as an educator um if you're teaching coaches or you're teaching teachers about specific ways that are that are positive in terms of communication and how to communicate with your students or your players what would some tips maybe be that we can use
2: well, yeah, I, I totally agree, once again, on the communication, the importance of it. I think it's one of those weird things that uh, we all do it. And I think we, once again, we all think we know a little bit about it. But are we really identifying the areas that we can improve on it uh, and and do things differently? And that's that's completely different than just kind of acknowledging like that's eh, a big deal. Um I think oftentimes I do this myself as a coach is uh, I don't create enough like on ramps or feedback loops to make sure I'm getting the information from parents, from players. It's a very it can be a very top down and we're all crunched with time and we're trying to get our ice time in and our practice time and stuff like that, that we don't create enough opportunity to hear what's going on and just be a great listener in that situation. Because our parents and our players, you know, whether you agree with parents or not, they're they're still experts in their child. You know, we still have to and should be listening to them because they can clue us in on a lot of things. You know, just like we talked about, maybe with birth order, There's a lot of things that maybe we didn't consider or something that's going on with that kid in life. So, creating uh, opportunities, creating those those feedback loops, which we're both listening and and giving input. So, some of the some of the greatest coaches that uh, my kids have been on are, are updating the team all the time on what is our focus right now, what are we doing, what is this intentionality, what are the objectives that we're working on. What are you seeing out of your players, but also receiving the information too. And uh, you have to create that. It's not just going to happen. We're, we're too busy. There's too much stuff going on. Um, so you have to create those scenarios by you know, purposely scheduling them and doing those things.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's so in the intentionality. So how do you create those feedback loops? I think, I guess, go, I guess the the question is kind of going both ways. Like what are some great ways that you can create those feedback loops from yourself as the coach or the teacher to the student or the player, but also the other way in being intentional about it?
2: Yes. So so I think like scheduling, just like I said, you know, you have to actually manually go in and say, I'm going to, I'm going to meet with parents one-on-one or do these kind of things, or I'm going to have schedule these player meetings. Um, looking for opportunities to to ask those players before practice after practice how it went and get feedback that way so you have to be constantly soliciting feedback i guess and communication um but being also like we i know we've overused it but intentional and scheduling i I don't know a better way to do it besides making sure i'm communicating what my expectations are but i'm also getting that information from from parents and from players so i think Sometimes we don't do enough justice to our coaches and we we just assume that they maybe know what's going on or how we're feeling as a parent or as a player. And we we need to tell them, we need to fill them in. And that's not to say we're soft or anything, you know, Um, we need to fill coaches in so they can, we can empower them to work with situations that are going on.
0: For sure. And that's, that's a two way street too, because I feel like the coaches have to provide an environment where they're approachable, where the kids do feel like they can open the door. Um, I feel like, that feedback loop going the other way from the player to the coach, 90% of that is just opening the door to the coach's room. And once you're in there, then it's easy. <laughs> I shouldn't say it's easy, but it's uh that's half the battle. It's like just getting out of bed. That's, that 's the, the first thing you have to do every day. It's just kind of like opening the door so if, as a coach if if you 're not creating that environment where the kids or the parents or whoever um feel like they're comfortable and coming in and speaking to you, I think that's a huge thing so so as a coach how do you how do you feel like you can create that kind of environment where you are approachable and the players and the parents feel like you know they it's okay for them to come in and ask you questions it's okay for them to come and discuss you know, issues that are going on, if there's some miscommunication and things like that?
2: Yeah, I, you have to create it, like you say, and I think part of it's our demeanor. You know, part of it's uh, if we present ourselves um, like Coach Daniels, like someone who's constantly wanting to learn and, and having those those meaningful conversations uh, with parents, with players, but I think also, too, having the difficult ones. You know, I think sometimes we we don't give Parents and players enough credit, and we we hold back on some of the information that maybe needs to be stated. You know, it, it's not an easy conversation. Or if you're if you're creating this culture that you're so proud of, and something's not going that way, ignoring it's not going to fix that culture, right? And and or that climate, whatever it happens to be. So sometimes, as as the coach, we gotta we 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 have to have those hard conversations, and it's uh, not putting yourself on a pedestal, but just talking about as a as an organization, as an individual this is what I'm seeing. Can you fill me in? I'm trying to understand it, but it, it's looking like this to me. Um, you know, so, so being intentional with those difficult conversations too uh, I think, I think is really, really important.
1: Do you have any advice to coaches when they have to approach parents with, with negative feedback in that loop uh, about their son or daughter, like how, how to approach that from, a, you know, a, a larger perspective?
2: Yeah, um, first of all, it's absolutely necessary, you know, um, understand that the environment that you've created as a coach, hopefully, it's not confrontational, but it is, it's, it's clear, it's direct. Um, I think, oftentimes, if we don't do a good enough job communicating our expectations, how do you, then how do you hold somebody accountable? How do you tell them, you know, um, and also making sure it's not always the negatives, you know, like, elementary ed, it sounds all warm and fuzzy, the compliment sandwich, where, You give them a compliment and then you get them with a little bit of feedback that maybe isn't the, you know, as warm and fuzzy. And then you end with a nice compliment. It's still a great approach. Uh, I'm not saying that, but um, making sure that the feedback we're giving them isn't always negative either. Like building on some of those positives um, is is huge. So I would also say just be prepared, you know, make it not so much subjective and just be build that trust with parents that I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you real feedback. I'm going to give you, and it's it's really about the player and their development. And if I've done my job in creating that culture, I think it's really easily understood that you're not attacking a player, you're not attacking a family. You've created this that we're all on board for development. We're all on board to see this this student, this player grow and prosper. And we got to talk about these things. And this is where I see it's not not to the level where it should be, you know. And I oftentimes when those conversations have to happen, if you've done your job, you've done your pre work, and you've created some of those things or worked hard at it. It, it, they seem to go really well. It's weird. You know, they, they, I always, I always prepare for the worst like, <laughs> in a situation where they're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I agree. Or they're even harder on it. Sometimes it's like, Oh, wow, well, that was easy. You
0: know? Well, I feel like, I feel like in, a huge theme of this entire conversation is preparedness and being intentional with what you do, but not even necessarily from the hockey side, it's from the people side. So being intentional and being prepared to, to, handle the the people side of coaching, whether it's the conversations, whether it's the, you know, the, the different tones and the demeanors and, and scheduling out when to talk to different people and things like that. I just, I feel like the best coaches do that, but it goes back to it too. Like you can't just hope problems away and you can't just hope a culture happens. Like you have to actually put the action in to do it. And you can't put the action in right, unless you're prepared it's not like you can show up at the rink and just say, okay, I'm going to affect X, Y, and Z today. It's, it's known the night before that that's what you're going to do. And so I just think that's great advice for, I mean, not even coaches, I mean, leaders or teachers. I mean, it, it this, this spans all walks of life and, and, uh, it's been very, very fun, very, very enlightening learning about all that and how important it is because it's not easy. It's it's not easy to be intentional all the time, every day, making it a habit. Just as it's not easy to do those things as a player, it's not easy to do those things as as a coach, especially as a youth youth coach when it's like your second job. <laughs> your first job is to put food on the table for your family and then you gotta go coach your kids practice. So uh, I just think this has been vexed. This has been awesome learning about just the intentionality of teaching and coaching and how the two go hand in hand. And there's been so many things that I can use going on in, in, in my coaching career has been fantastic.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's like Adam Nicholas said on the first time he ever came on, like more coaches need to learn how to teach. I mean, I, I, I just, I think that honestly was probably for what our podcast is geared towards. I think that was probably the most profound statement made for me, on the whole, on every whatever 120 episodes we've done now, I think that that's probably the most profound and That's the second. That's statement. the
0: second one, a second episode in a row where you've said that, though. So you got to pick one.
1: What else did I say?
0: The the Marty St. Louis quote. You got to be the best at again. I said better. that was my
1: favorite. I thought that I said that was my favorite quote. This is the most profound, like, like thing we can learn. Ah,
0: from got it. Okay.
1: Because I think probably coaches are listening to this more than than anyone. I would assume. And so, uh, you know, if you can't get your message across, doesn't matter how good the message is.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, Brady, I got one more question for you. And this is an interesting one. And I've talked to my sister about this, who's a teacher, but I, I listened to a podcast. Um, it's Dak Shepard. He's an actor, but he's got an unbelievable podcast. I listen to it all the time. And he had um, a professor on, a professor of education that he was talking to. And and the thing that I found really interesting about one of the things that they talked about was the importance or non-importance of grades. So the actual success of what you get at the end versus like the process of learning. And they did these studies, um, and I don't know what the studies were, and I listened to this a couple months ago, but it's something that I wanted to bring up where they actually found in the study that when they de-emphasized grades there was much more retention of the learning material because the kids weren't just learning to get the grade they were actually learning there was no pressure to get the a um and and i feel like that kind of relates to sports a little bit because we're always so focused on the end result that sometimes we prepare for the end result instead of preparing to actually get better um so i wanted to hear your thoughts on that in your field and and being such an expert in that like have you read or heard of those studies and and just kind of what your thoughts were on on that whole thing
2: yeah absolutely and, and there's a lot of different models you know um i always like to say all my students you know start with an a where they go from there is uh, up to them you know <laughs> the work and the, the what they do and the follow through and those kind of things like my expectation is i want everybody to be phenomenal and great at the end right so so that's my goal that's my aim too but you know it, it there's a large ownership there that students have to take too. So I, but what I just, does that mean?
0: So you want them to be great at the end. Like, does that mean that everybody gets the A? Does that mean like they retain the information that you're trying? Is it that they're passionate about it? What, what's.
2: I guess really just uh, for them to feel for their knowledge base to increase and for them to feel empowered on going and executing these things and doing these things with students. Um, so, so they feel like they can, they can take some risks. They can, they can plan things really well and feel like they're, um, designing instruction or whatever happens to be, um, in ways that reach multiple students in, 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 uh, those types of things. So, so it's really empowerment and confidence, I guess, um, as well as mastery of content, but also, I, I I'm fortunate where I get to actually go and observe um, college students, undergrads in the field doing student teaching and directed teaching and stuff like that. So, so for me, I love that because now I get to see all we've talked about and are you actually able to implement it? And that's where it, it's so much fun because it empowers them too when they can implement it and they're having those really good authentic inter, interactions and experiences with students. Um, and that's what most of them are passionate about, anyways. You know, they want to be in classrooms with students. So to see them do it at a really highly effective um, way is, 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 awesome. Um, you know, to take it back to, to coaching a little bit, I, I personally struggle with this too, is how do I assess player development? Um, in, in, we keep score and and there should be a scoreboard and I, I, I get all that, but that can't be how I judge success, you know, because, uh, so how do we do that? I think that's a real challenge for coaches is how do we assess development and, and what our objectives are, what our goals going backwards or going to that backwards design again um, without that reliance on overall record scoreboard, things like that. I know you're, you're currently working, I believe with an organization, right. To, to develop that culture and stuff. And maybe in in Bob Mancini talked about that long-term development. Yep. It's hard to have patience with it sometimes (laughs) and the scoreboards, you know, two or three times a week. So how, how do I take a risk? How do I maybe play a player and create some adversity when I know, it could negatively impact the scoreboard, but it's going to be great for their development in this team's development. So it takes a lot of courage out of a coach.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, even going, going along with that, um, I feel like a lot of times, especially in youth, but it happens at the older levels as well. Um, you, you're coaching to the results. So maybe you're allowing your better players to maybe get away with certain things. Cause that's going to end up, in in the scoreboard like as a teacher I I have to imagine that it's pretty similar like you have you have your more gifted students intellectually and and academically that maybe some of the material they kind of grasp a lot easier and then as a teacher you have to find ways to challenge them so they're getting more out of it and they're they're getting better is there a big parallel in the education field with that to to sports yeah, definitely.
2: Um, and, and we know that all of our players have different skill sets, just like our students in, in different abilities and things like that. So finding ways to challenge them, you know, so um, we'll do some small group stuff uh, of like skills in our classrooms, just like we would do on the ice. So if, if I want to push my upper players, well, I have to design that. I have to say I'm going to do some like skill groups here. And there's a few things that I'm, I'm working on and focused on and that they're focused on in that same drill or that small area game that maybe some of their peers are not. Um, So I got to be really aware of that and know that I have to design it that way. So it's, it's very much true. Um, and, And as we talked, coaching has changed, education has changed. There's a lot more reliance on you looking at that data and really benchmarking and seeing where our students are and where our players are and changing and modifying instruction to meet that with the same end goals in mind, But we're changing stuff up as we go based on actual data, not just our feelings
0: yeah how how would you go about maybe because so we have our back to hockey conference coming up um in a couple weeks and our title sponsor for is actually this company called power player and they're an internet-based company that actually helps coaches kind of quantify different things during the year and and there's you do some tests at the beginning of the year and hopefully you're better at the end of the year but other other way and it's fantastic that's why i wanted them to be the title sponsor and it's it's awesome um are there other ways or what are some ways that you can, cause everybody wants to see results. Everybody wants to see quantifiable data, especially the parents, <laughs> you know, it's like, I want to know, and how can you tell me that my kid got better from September to March or however long your, your hockey season is. So what are some ways that we can quantify things so we can actually maybe see some benchmarks Um, from a developmental standpoint, rather than just like the ranking of your team or the score of the game at the end of the year and things like that, actual development.
2: Well, I think the first step is having really clearly and well-defined goals and objectives that, so we can measure against them because I think sometimes it's, it's a little bit too subjective and we're just like, well, we all want to be great hockey players and great people. That's great. You know, I, I agree, but what does that look like? What does that mean? Um, so we've actually done some of that benchmarking data as well, where you assess students or, or players in these eight skills at the beginning of the year and then February and, and kind of use that data. And it's, it's, it's really good. But then in addition to that too, like, what else am I looking for? You know, um, and how do you, how do you, uh, assess confidence and puck touches and stuff? And I think that's where it's important. Sometimes I get to see that a lot in practices and in games, but obviously in games I'm on the bench, I, I'm, I'm helping create stuff. So having, Coaches be able to to talk and dialogue and step away from the ice sometimes. I think you guys talked about this uh, recently, where you have somebody else coach the team or a skill coach comes in and stuff like that. Where then as coaches we can sit back and we can reevaluate players and 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 do those kind of things. But it's really hard to do in live time on the ice if you're trying to coach a drill or do something. I, I don't know how you can. I don't. I, I can't do it. You know. And I and there's a lot of things I can't do. But. Um, I need to step back and really be in, once again, intentional for those skills and look like, okay, how, what's this player doing when the, when the puck hits his, you know, when it's on his stick, is he rifling it right away? Do you see that confidence? Do you see the creativity and creating those drills to be able to evaluate those things, but having those conversations with my
0: fellow coaches. Very interesting. Vex, did you guys do any of that? I know you guys and, and Barra who actually congrats to him. We should probably say congrats to him getting that, uh, assistant coaching job in the ushl so good for him but did you guys do any type of benchmarking i know you i'm sure you do a ton of it in the gym um but in terms of what you guys were doing from a hockey standpoint
1: yeah and we we videotaped practices a couple times um to look at stuff and then i mean it was it was more like like literally it was more like eyeball stuff Like, we just be like, all right, this guy needs to work on this. And then one of us would focus on watching what he's doing all the time. Oh, man, we're seeing so and so do this a lot in games. So then put a practice plan together to work on that specific skill that we know one guy needs. It'll benefit everyone, but that one guy needs. And then you just see if he's getting better or he's not. I think that sometimes with, with, with youth hockey, especially people get so wrapped up into like data and, and you need this, you need that. It's like, well, you can just use your eyes too. Like you, you as a coach, hopefully you're good enough to know, is this guy getting better every day or is he not? And you just make drills up around, okay, what is six guys on the team are really bad at pulling pucks off the wall. Let's work on that all this week. And then next week, it'll be a feature in the practice and you'll see them progress throughout the year or you won't, which means you need to work on it more and or coach it better. So I don't think that it's like that hard of a thing to do. You just have to actually care and pay attention.
2: Yeah, I, think, I think being intentional with what it is you're looking for, you know, um, yeah. have an identity, like as a team, you know, that's when you're changing things constantly, like the things that we're really going to focus on, or I think it's key too. we do this in education. We do it in coaching all the time. We don't tell the kids, like state the objective before a drill. Like this is our focus. This is what we're working on in this drill and really engage their mind too. Like all the time we create these great drills and these great scenarios, but we don't fill them in on this great secret of what we're really trying to achieve. Why are we not doing this as coaches? Like it should be clearly communicated to them. It should be measurable. They should know what the focus is uh, of everything we do. And, and we should fill them in on that, you know, and, it, and I'm not saying lecture them for an hour and stand on the ice real quick. This is what I'm focused on as a coach right now. I'm looking at this edge work, and I'm doing these kind of things. I want you to be really thinking about and engaged in that ready go
1: that's what we did that's what we did all season with our team every drill we try and be like hey this is a shooting drill i know you want to just come in and shoot from the hash marks like i used to do don't do that i want you to fake inside move outside and shoot in stride and then go to the net and stop like we tried to do that with as many drills as we could and we didn't do that as much the first year i was coaching uh, and then the second year we had the whole same staff, and we came together in the summer. We said we really need to focus on intention of each drill, not just like drill, 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 drill. Like at the board, when drawing it up, hey, right, this is what I want you to focus on. I really want you to focus on this specific skill, and then the rest of the drill, play it out, read, react, yada, yada, yada. But really, really focus on this beginning part, and that had a lot of success. Like we were, our team was so bad to start the year, and we finished the year like. One ten 10 or 12 or something because their details and their intention dramatically changed.
2: And I think that's a, something that a coach has to do. They have to facilitate that by being really clear, communicating that, letting them in on the secrets and, and then giving them feedback for, for why it's important, transferring that to the game situation. So building these, these scaffold skills uh, and talking about them in isolation, but then also, you know, creating these scenarios in which they can see why it's so important. Um, and, and we have to lead them down that path. We have to create that with intentionality of we're doing it like this because the next step is this. And then the third step is this, you know, the, one of the greatest joys is you, you work on something, a concept at its, it's, you know, its smallest steps in practice, because you know, it's an area of need. And then you go see a player execute it. Uh, like, oh my God, like you just love it. You know, we worked on some stuff, uh, behind the net, um, with some creativity and some stuff like, you know, in, in Gretzky's office back there. And then the very next game, the very next day we go and execute it. And the kids are yelling from the bench, like, Hey, it's this drill. How much fun? Like, yeah, yeah I like, get to see that connection or, or an, a great angle a defenseman takes without actually having to to stop his feet or engage that player, um, and just completely taking the ice away from the guy taking the puck we got possession we're going the other way and having him come to the bench just so proud with a grin saying coach that's exactly what we were talking yeah like that's we could create that as coaches we create those elements and, and put it all together and i feel
0: that like, yeah and i feel like that i mean we're always As coaches, one of the biggest debates is like hockey sense and teaching hockey sense. I feel like that, that objective that you're talking about Brady and that why you're doing a certain drill, that's the teaching of the hockey sense. So when you're doing a drill and we're like, okay, we want you to get the puck here. And then I want you to get it off the wall. And then you're going to do this. And then you're going to go, that's the what. But then if you say, okay, we want you to take the puck off the wall because you're bringing it to the middle, which is creating confusion, and now the defenseman is moving laterally, and if you want to go the other way, then you can get his feet crossing over, and now there has to be a communication issue, and I I mean, that's what that's what teaching hockey sense is like, as we're kind of talking, I'm thinking this through my head. And a lot of that, why and those objectives is you're teaching kids hockey, you're teaching them the game. And, and that's what we all aspire to do. And I think that's a great way. And, and I think we're all victim of it. I certainly am of when we're putting drills up, we're just talking about what the drill is and we're drawing it up. And then we say, okay, go ahead. But maybe that extra 20 to 30 seconds per drill that you're drawing up where you're giving them that objective and that why it can do so much for teaching them just an overall knowledge of the game of hockey and and will allow them to flourish from a hockey sense standpoint and then you will see them have their wins on the ice where it's that practice to game transfer where they're able to actually do it in the game too and uh i just i, I feel like i just like hit a uh, hit a like a gold mine here. <laughs> and, and I just learned something great that I'm going to use so much more now, just that extra 20 to 30 seconds and how important that is.
2: It's huge. It's huge. Like in education, we write those objectives on the board and then we revisit them, you know? And so we talk about them, we relate them to why it's important. We teach the content and then we revisit them at the end to say, how do you, do you think you did it? Do you think you mastered it? And it's, it's really so important to have that. And in having the visual, even for the player, it empowers them too in those drills and it fills them in. They start to make those connections. So there's just so many benefits to doing something. It seems like such a simple step, but you wouldn't be, uh, when I'm in rinks and I'm observing, it's amazing how many times you don't see it. And coaches, they just, they go past it thinking, well, I know what it is and they should know too, but that's not the case. We can't assume that.
0: You can't assume anything. Like the more, again, let's go back to it. The more intentional you are in, in everything that you do, I, I feel like that's the, the theme. Jeff, that's up on your wall oh, in your gym, isn't it?
1: Intention. It says, what is your why? Yeah. Which is thinking about, you know, why are doing some intention? But like you can, if you think about it from this way, if you over-focus on intention for each drill, nothing really bad happens unless you talk for 10 minutes instead of, you know, one minute. <laughs> but if you under-focus on intention, like that really, like that's a pretty big swing right there. So I would rather err on the side of being like, hey, like really looking for this, maybe even demonstrate it, but rather the, hey, here's a drill, go do it. And then you, you're not getting out of it what you want to get out of it from a team, from, a, from an individual, from a, a, a hockey sense standpoint. I think it's a, a massive disservice. And that's why, as Tolf and I have talked about, I hate the fast, 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 practice, uh, unless you're pros, like maybe D1, maybe like, you know, you, oh, no, you do talk a lot of
0: coaching it. and teaching in D1. You do a lot of coaching and teaching at pros too.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think that's like, but like you, you don't, you, if it's a 40 minute practice. Most coaches are ripping through it and everyone knows why and what you're doing. So you don't read, yeah. but at the, at the youth level, you, you should over exaggerate that why are you doing everything? Because most of the kids don't know why.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I need to know why, because I need to know what I'm looking for, you know, because part of my responsibility as a coach is then to make modifications um, or drill enhancers or things like this. So I got to plan them ahead of time because my expectation, what I think is developmentally appropriate for my team right now is this. All of a sudden we get to that drill and I realize, wait a minute, we're, we're not there or we're beyond it. Well, that empowers me then as a coach to make that next step, to add this back checker, to do these different things and modify to say, we're ready for that next step. I can push. But without knowing what I'm looking for, I'm just, I'm running through a drill.
0: Yeah. Well, how important do you think that is as a, as a teacher and as an educator? Um, one of the things that we've started to talk about a lot is adaptability. And as a, as a professor, as a teacher, a lot of times you're going to go into a classroom with your plan. We've talked about how important that plan is. Sometimes that plan doesn't work. And sometimes we have to be adaptable as a coach, as an educator to, you know, changing things up on the fly and, and giving our kids what they need at, at that certain moment. So how, I don't want to say like, how do you plan to be adaptable? Cause I almost feel like that's an oxymoron, but like how important is that adaptability piece of it? And, and just even like, how important is it to, to really evaluate what's going on at a certain time? So you can be adaptable if things aren't, aren't going how you want them to.
2: I, I think we absolutely do plan and prepare to be adaptable, you know, and, and part of that setting that target and knowing what we're looking for um, so that we know we can identify it when it isn't happening or it is happening. Um, so, so I think we'd actually, we we do prepare for that. And we prepare for those modifications um, which, which is really, really important and it empowers us as coaches. So um those are those are situations which you know the more you do of it do it um it's great but also if you have it really well defined you know what it is and you know how to build those steps and we're not wasting our time uh you know we're using that very purposefully even if it means we got to take two steps back here there's no sense in just running through this thing because it's on my paper you know i i've thought about what the expectation is for this and if we're not hitting it that may mean maybe it's just a little bit there's too many steps involved here so I got to take it back down to step one step two and then step three you know that happens to us all the time where we go this practice plan I I created it you know two days ago I shared it with the coaches it was a work of art I framed it I put it up on my table (laughs) great and then we get there and realize oh that's uh, my mind was maybe a little bit further advanced than what I thought we were at so but we do have some elements of this, but I need to make sure we identify this. This is a key element we're missing. And then, and then you modify it and you do it right there to make sure you're not missing that step.
1: I think that's a big thing for coaches to hear right there, too. Just from a player's standpoint, you know, I think about some practices where coaches would go nuts when like no one knew what was going on. And I was like, well, if there's 20 guys on the ice and none of us know what's expected of us, how can you be mad at us like we don't everyone's looking around like what what wait what's the drill what are we doing what are we doing you know so like sometimes I think coaches like you just said need to. oh maybe my plan was a little too hard or maybe this drill was a little too much and and be able to you know uh, adapt when when those things happen
0: yeah for sure one of uh, one of the things that I usually do and it typically happens one out of every I don't know, four or five practices As you always know when you do your first couple drills, if the kids are in it or not, if they're talking, if they're ripping passes or whatever. So usually what I do when that happens is I'm like, all right, let's compete. <laughs> Our focus isn't there right now. Like we're not, we're not executing very well. So we're just going to go compete for the next 15 minutes. That'll get the energy up. That'll get, you know, it'll be fun, but it'll be hard because they know they weren't, um focused on on executing and the things that they need to do and i think just that competitiveness when you bring that out in the players that's always kind of like my fallback when things aren't going well because you don't really have to think very much when you're competing it's just like me versus i mean you do but it's 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 just a way to kind of snap and get everybody back into it where you're just adding a little bit more and then okay now let's get back to what we needed to do i don't know that's just something that i i usually do
1: i love that that's genius
2: I I think it's really important. And I think uh, just like you were talking about, like sometimes we see classroom behaviors too, and it's it's based out of poor planning, um, not communicating, and then unpredictability. We all want to feel safe. We all want to feel so when you create that predictability and the expectations and you communicate that we can expect more out of our players. We've created that environment that that's stable for them. That's trusting that. uh, So now my expectations can be larger. And I can do those things. And I also know that, okay, the pace isn't there. We're going to switch it up. We're going to do something different because something else is going on in their lives. So I got to make sure that that expectation is seen.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. This whole thing has been awesome, Brady. I feel it's funny. I was, as we were talking, i just kind of look at Vex, like as, as everything was going on, as you were talking and, but there's so many like head nods, like, yes, <laughs> that's such a good point. Yep. Yep. That makes sense too. And and then I felt like I was doing the same thing all the time. <laughs> I was like, I, I just like looking at myself in the computer screen, just like nodding in approval of, of everything that you were saying. But this was, um I, again, I've said this before, like I've, I've got a lot of notes after this one for sure. And I, think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of this episode and Brady we thank you so much for for coming on and and giving us your perspective as an educator in in what we're all trying to to be better at in in coaching and teaching even in parenting this parenting stuff too and uh, just thank you so much for coming on and, and we really really appreciate your perspective on it
2: thanks guys it's been my pleasure in in you know, it, it's something that it's that endless pursuit of perfection. We're not there. Professional educators are not there yet, you know, and, and um, so we're constantly seeking this out. Like you said, hockey's changing, education's changing. We have to be uh, constant learners and, and and willing to admit there's some things we've got to develop and there's some things that we do well and just, just keep pushing, I guess. And don't be afraid to try something. Uh, you know, you hope it doesn't sound too cliche, some of the things we talked about, but it's important for us to acknowledge and try something different um, with intention in mind.
0: That's so true. I, that, I should say, I don't know if I said this the last time, but I ran my first skill session um, with my team. We can't call them practices because you're not allowed to practice. So it's a, it's a skill session, um, which it actually was a skill session. We didn't do any like competitive drills or anything like that. But it was my first time running a practice in like a year and a half. And it's also COVID. So, like, you can't play small area games and you have to social distance. And it was literally the worst practice I think I've ever led in my entire life. It was so bad, but I got a a few things out of it, but it's true. I mean, even as coaches, we, we encourage our, just like what you're talking about, we encourage our kids to fail and how it's important. And I think as coaches, we need to step outside our comfort zone and and learn a little bit too. So, Um, but Brady, this has been, this has been awesome. We really appreciate your time and uh, enjoy your time in in the summertime in big rapids there. And, And for everybody listening, Brady's got his backyard behind him right now. Uh, it's like a picture of, of the wintertime and you have the sickest outdoor backyard rink I think I've ever seen. So let's get to wintertime quickly <laughs> and I'm coming out to big rapids to skate on it.
2: <laughs> yes, sir. We'd love to have you. Obviously it's uh, we have a, we have a blast out there and uh, we got a few in the neighborhood. So love to have you guys over and skate.
0: <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Thanks guys. Have a great night. And we'll be talking to you soon.